We hear of many valiant men who have gone through tremendous testing. However, none more than Job. Loss of property, family, and depletion of health brought him to his knees. But his faith was in an ever-present and all-knowing God. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, let's tune in into the life of Job. You won't want to miss any part of this fascinating study. If you're unable to hear this entire message, all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now with part one of Message 2 is Pat Zucran. We are marching through the book of Job. So turn with me, if you will, to Job. We begin in chapter 3. Job chapter 3. Let's pray together. Speak to us through your word now, Lord, in a very powerful way, even through the deep issues we wrestle with now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Dottie and her family enjoyed life at home in New Jersey living on her family farm, surrounded by friends and relatives. She could not have asked for anything more. She was living out her dream of being a wife, being a mom in the neighborhood and town she had grown up in. But things changed one day when her husband Jeff came home and said, Honey, I believe God has called me to serve him full-time in ministry. And I believe we need to go to seminary in Dallas, and to prepare for this calling on my life. Well, knowing she could not stay when the call of God was so strong on her husband's heart, she reluctantly sold her home, they packed their family, and they moved to a new city where she knew no one, surrounded by complete strangers, never having lived in a city before, to Dallas, Texas. They bought a house in the city, and Jeff enrolled in graduate school preparing to go into full-time service of the Lord. Things were tough. Jeff studied to the late hours of the night while Dottie stayed home and took care of the children. However, Jeff stayed out later and later and was hardly home. Well, after months of this, what seemed to be strange behavior, Dottie made the horrific discovery. Jeff was not at the library studying, but over at the neighbor's house, involved with the lady next door. And every day when Dottie would be driving home, seeing the light on in the neighbor's house, she knew that lady was not alone. Living with incredible pain, she confronted Jeff, who instead of repenting and restoring the marriage, ran off with that lady, leaving Dottie and her two small children behind. And he and the woman moved to Florida, where they lived in a nice beach house mansion there in Miami leaving Dottie behind in a new city with two elementary-age children. Dottie, with no college degree, away from family, away from friends, all alone, was left to find a way to support her family now suddenly as a single mom. Those years were tough, ostracized at church. With two children, she struggled and, and managed to raise her children, who turned out wonderfully. However, Years have gone by, and we used to talk in the office all the time. And every so often, even though now she is 
just about to retire. We talk once in a while, but every so often she would ask that question. Why, God, when all I wanted to do was to serve you? Why? And it's at times like these we ask those haunting questions, don't we? Why, God? Why do you allow evil to befall upon the righteous? Where are you when I need to hear from you the most? Why are you silent when I need to hear those words from you more than ever? We've all been in such situations, haven't we? And we've asked and we've wrestled with those questions, haven't we? And if we haven't, we will someday. That's why Job is such a powerful book. And Job, we know, appears to suffer unjustly. And through the whole process, he asks those questions we struggle with. But we're afraid to ask publicly, why? Why do the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? Why are you silent when I need to hear from you the most? Why has God seemingly abandoned me in my time of greatest need? And how will I ever get through the pain when I'm in pain, I'm hurting, and God seems so far away? Well, that's where we come to Job here in chapter 3. We find that Job, at the end of chapter 2, has lost everything, his livelihood, his family. He has lost it all. And he sits in silence for seven days with his friends, just in utter pain. And what troubles Job the most is that he has not heard from God. Through all this, God remains silent. And Job is sitting there with his friends and wondering what it is that has come upon him. And remember, in chapter 1, we read, God said, now God said this of Job, he was a righteous man, blameless and upright, who fears God and shuns evil. This is what God said about Job. This guy was doing it all right, and his world turns upside down. And one of the first lessons we learn from Job is this, that God's ways and the things that happen in life are not always understood. Unknown to Job, but known to us because we're reading the story. We've got the bird's eye view, but Job doesn't. Unknown to Job, God and Satan are locked in a great cosmic duel. That's going to determine the fate of mankind. Satan has laid some serious accusations to God, saying, you really don't have a relationship with humans. All right? The only reason humans love you is because of what they can get out of you. All right? Take that away. You'll find they'll curse you to your face. And to God, he says, you have no relationship with humans because you buy their love. That's all you do. All right? You bless them. So it's a take-take kind of relationship. It's kind of like when you are out there in Southeast Asia and you see a 90-year-old guy about ready to keel over, you know, running around with a 19-year-old woman. And you sit there going, does she really love him or is she out there for his money? You know, and over there going, does this guy really love her? I mean, does she really love him or did he just buy her off? All right, that's what Satan is saying. That's the kind of relationship you got, God. Take that stuff away and men and women will curse you to your face. They don't love you for who you are. There's nothing there, all right? And God says, all right, let's put it to the test because I know your accusation is false. 
So Job comes under these trials. He has lost everything from his business to his family and to his health. And perhaps the worst part is his wife in complete brokenheartedness comes up to him and says, man, you're still holding on? Curse God and die. Get it over with. And the things we learn is that events in life don't always have a clear explanation, do they? We can do a lot of things right and things not come out like they're supposed to. You can have tremendously godly parents and one of their kids go down the wayward path. All right? You can have men running their business the right way, not cutting corners, cooking the books, violating the rules like the guy down the road, and he prospers and your business goes under. You do A, you don't always get B. doesn't always work out. An easy formula, God's ways cannot be put into an easy formula. Life and, and why things happen don't always have easy answers. And often, there is more going on than we could possibly conceive and understand. For us, we know that there is a cosmic battle between God and Satan. But Job doesn't have a clue what's going on. All he knows is that he's been living a righteous life, doing things the right way, living in obedience to God, and suddenly he has lost everything. And that's one of the first lessons we learn in Job. It kind of shatters those simple, easy formulas that we have in our mind that is really false thinking. Life and all that happens, and God in all his ways cannot always be understood. There's a lot more going on than we can possibly imagine and conceive. The stark reality came to me a few years ago. I remember in karate class, I took, a, I took a nice kick right there and it broke my nose. And I was bleeding like a river, you know, like a waterfall coming out of my nose. And so I drove myself to the emergency room down the road. And I was sitting there in the emergency room and I was talking to the nurse. And they said, well, sir, you're going to have to wait. And I said, wait, I'm going to bleed to death. I said, you see this ghee? It's supposed to be white, not bright red, okay? And he said, well, sir, we've got other emergencies going on. You've got to wait. I thought, what could be more important than me? I'm bleeding to death. So I uh, went where I wasn't supposed to. I thought, well, I'm going to see who's got a more pressing need than me. And so I walked around, and I stuck my head in one of the emergency rooms, and there was a young boy in there fighting for his life. He was on full life support. His heart uh, was going and he needed a heart transplant, all right? And how long he could remain on life support, no one really knew. But he, it, he had taken a critical turn, and they were working on him at that time. And then next to me was a young fellow who looks like he had a stroke or a heart attack, and they were pumping his heart, and they had him on the machine, and they were working hard to save his life. And I realized, okay, maybe I'm not in such a bad state. So I walked out of the emergency room, and I kind of sat down in my seat thinking about the situation, and a guy came, and he sat next to me. I didn't see him, but he sat down, and he said, greetings, fellow martial artist. And I looked over at him, and he was in a cast, right? His pins in his elbows and everything, and he's sitting down. And I looked over at him, and I said, got in the arm bar, huh? He said, yeah, I didn't tap out. I said, dude, just tap out, man. Get rid of that macho stuff, man. It hurts. Just, you know, go live to fight another day. He goes, yeah, you know, I should have. So we struck up a little conversation. And then uh, eventually he left. But I sat there looking at that situation, realizing that if this 
boy with a failing heart was going to be rescued, he needed a heart transplant. That's what the nurses there were telling me. In other words, to get a heart for this young boy and save his life, guess what? Another child has to die. Maybe it was the guy next door. Who knows? But you see, there's a bigger picture going on than we could possibly conceive or understand. In one hospital room, there will be parents shouting and jumping for joy, saying, Praise God, he answered our prayer. Our son got a heart. But in a hospital room somewhere else, there will be parents in tears saying goodbye to their child, saying, Where was God when we needed him most? When our child needed where was he? See, there's a, a lot more going on. God has to decide who's going to live, who's going to make it, who's not. Much, much, huge, bigger picture going on than we could possibly conceive or understand. That's why life doesn't always work out the way we think it should. Life doesn't always follow a really neat formula. If I live a righteous life, nothing bad happens to me. The good always win. The righteous always get justice. The righteous politician always wins the election. Doesn't work like that, huh? There are things that will happen in your life that you will not understand. Because life doesn't fall into a neat little formula here. And one of the things you've got to understand, what's going to pull you through in those difficult times is knowing there's a lot more going on than I can possibly understand. And in life, we may not know why, but we must know the heart and the character of God. Because it's at that time, you're not going to know why, but you're going to be called to trust in Him. You may never understand why things happen in your lifetime. It's been 40 years for Dottie. She still asks why. And you know, none of us have answers for her. Someday she'll find out. But until then, we're called to trust God, even in those most difficult times, because there's a lot more going on here they would possibly understand. In time of his great need, three friends come alongside Job, and they sit silently with him for seven days. And they were doing great when they didn't talk. Now, they were supposed to be the three wise men who come to his aid, but instead of the three wise men, we end up with the three stooges. Now, remember, in chapter 1, Job is a righteous man, not by what men say, but what God says. God called him a righteous man. Now, he has lost everything. And after seven days of silence, he finally speaks out, and you hear the pain that's pounding on his heart. The relentless pain, he is now in that dark, dark tunnel of depression, and he's looking left and right, forward and back, and there is no light at the end of the tunnel. And he comes out and he says in verse 3 of chapter 3, Let the day perish on which I was born, and that the night said, A man is conceived. And Job is saying, he, never, he doesn't curse God, but he curses the day he was born. He said, I wish I had never been born. Man, how painful is that? Maybe some of you have been there. And he asked the three why questions. We don't have time to go into all its details. But his pain is revealed in the three why questions in verse 11. Why did I not die at birth and come out from the womb and expire? Why didn't I just die at birth? Verse 16. Why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? Why couldn't I just been born and die right there instead of having to go through this? Verse 20, why? Why is light given to him who is in misery, 
and life to the bitter in the soul, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than hidden treasures. Why? Why do you allow me to live when I'd rather die? I look for death more than I look for treasure. And in verse 23, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Why? Why do you allow someone to live whom God you know is just doomed for this kind of day of destruction? Why do you even let me live, God? That's the deepness of his depression and the pain that he feels. And, and Job finds himself in a constant state of anguish and pain that gives him no rest. Perhaps you have been there, those nights struggling in pain where you, where you can't even sleep. Well, that's where Job is. And now his friends come up to give him counsel. What Job needs now more than ever is inspiring words of truth that are going to encourage his heart, strengthen his faith, help him through these deep and difficult times. And instead of the three wise men, these next chapters are the most difficult and painful in the book of Job. Because instead of the three wise men, you get the three bozos here. All right? Bildad comes and he says, Job, you know what your problem is? You know why all this happened to you? Sin. Man, you are a Bad sinner. You are horrific. You must have done something absolutely horrible, man. And so you better turn and fess up and repent of that. All right? In chapter 8, he says, Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you say these things and the words of your mouth be a great win? Does God pervert justice or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgressors. He said, You know what? You probably sinned pretty bad and your kids... They're a great sinner. They got exactly what they deserved. All right? He has delivered them into the hand of their transgressions. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you're pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. So he says, hey, Job, life is a simple formula. If you live righteously, God blesses you. Nothing bad happens. You sin, disaster falls upon you. Here you go. And Job, your sin and the sin of your kids must have been great because they got what they deserved. And you're getting what you deserve. Your sin is great. So fess up, man, because that's how life is. It's a simple formula. Do A, you get B. You live righteous, God will bless. So what's the problem? You're a grievous sinner. And this dialogue goes back and forth three times with the three and Job. They accuse him of great sin because... They got God in a simple, tiny little box. Everything is a, life is a simple formula. God's a simple formula. You live righteous, he blesses. You sin, he punishes. Therefore, Job, that's the end. Your sin is what has caused all of this. So the dialogue goes back and forth three times. And Job looks at them and says, oh, is that right? Well, then name me my sin. Name me the great wickedness that I have done to deserve this. And they can't, but they go, well, it's got to be. It's got to be, Job, because life is that simple. God is that simple. All right? You live righteous, he blesses, nothing bad happens. You sin, and everything falls apart. So your sin must be great. So he rebukes Bildad, but Bildad comes back at him again. Look at verse 18. He says, Indeed, the light of the wicked is put out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent, and his lamp above him is put out. His strong steps are shortened, and his own schemes... Throw him down, for he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks 
on its own mesh. A trap seizes him by the heel. A snare lays hold of him. A rope is hidden for him in the ground. A trap for him in, in the path. Terrors frighten him on every side and chase him at his heels. His strength is famished and calamity is ready for his stumbling. He's saying, Job, it's simple, okay? You live a righteous life, things go great. You do wickedness, God punishes the wicked. That's what you're getting here. You've laid traps and you've fallen into your own trap, all right? You think you're going to fool God? No, you can't. You've fallen into your own trap because life is that simple, Job. You live righteously, God will bless you. You do wickedness, God will punish you, and that's your problem. So fess up, man, and, and Job is just sitting there going, you guys are wrong. Now listen to me, all right? What great sin have I committed? And they go, well, we don't know. But that's how simple life is, Job. You just obey God and everything falls into place nicely. Zophar, companion number two, he thinks he's got it. And he comes to Job and he says, in chapter 11, Job is sitting there going, guys, I want a chance to stand before God and plead my case before him. All right, if you guys are right, and I've committed such a wicked sin. I want my day in court before God. I want to stand before him. And I want to hear what great sin I've committed. And Zophar said, Should a multitude of words go unanswered, and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men, and when you mock, shall no one shame you? For you say, My doctrine is pure, and I'm clean in God's eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you, and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for he's manifold in understanding. Know this, Job, that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Zophar says, you know what? You deserve worse. Now, God has gone easy on you, man, but you deserve worse. Man, your, your sin must be absolutely great. At least, you know, you're alive. You got a chance to repent of this wickedness. And he says, man, God has given you less than what you deserve. All right? And remember now, God called Job. A righteous man. All right? And these guys are pounding on him saying, look, God is simple. Life is so simple. You do good, you live righteously, good happens. You sin, evil falls upon you. And if you really sin, oh, it gets really bad. So Job, fess up, man, because that's the formula. It's that simple. And Job is saying, no, life ain't that simple. And he's saying, if I did commit some great sin, point it out to me. All right? And they go, oh, come on. It's that simple, Job. All right, here you go. Here's the cliche. You live righteous, things go great. You do things wrong, God punishes. Chapter 20 comes back to Job and, and he says, Zophar says, Therefore my thoughts answer me. Because of my haste within me, I hear censor that insults me. And out of my understanding, a spirit answers me. Do you not know this from old, since man was placed upon the earth? That the exalting of the wicked is short, and the joy of the godless is but for a moment. That's your problem, Job. Your wickedness and your ungodliness has finally caught up to you. Though his height mount up to the heavens and his head reach to the clouds, he will perish forever like his own sewage. Those who have done him well will say, where is he? He will fly away like a dream and not be found. He'll be chased away like a vision in the night. He will fly away like a dream and not be found. The eye that saw him will see him no more. No more place anymore. Behold him. His children will seek the favor of the poor and his hands will give back his wealth. His bones are full of his youthful vigor, but it will lie down with him in the dust. And he says, man, don't you know the wicked always suffer? The righteous are always blessed. 
That's God's justice. It's that simple. You must have done something tremendously wicked because that's how life goes, all right? It is that simple. Well, third guy steps up, Eliphaz. Eliphaz thinks he's, he has the truth, and he's also got life, and he's got God in a very simple formula. The righteous will always be blessed. The wicked will always suffer. Therefore, here's your problem, Job. And Eliphaz, the Temanite, in chapter 15, answered and said, Should a wise man answer with windy knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. Be sure to join us next time for the continuation of this exciting show. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ, right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.